Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another version of Bill Roden on Sports. I'm Bill Roden here in sunny Dallas, Texas, uh, site of the 2018 NFL Draft. And I know uh, my friend and colleague, Jamal Murphy, is uh, holding it down back in New York. Jamal, what's going on? What's up, man? Good to hear from you. Uh, yeah. Sounds like you're enjoying the uh, NFL draft out there in Dallas. Good stuff. Um, yeah, like, I mean, it was, it was, you know, the draft is always exciting. It's more exciting. I'm staying in the hotel where all the, you know, where all the players stay and, and their family and others, you know, kind of hovering around. You know, I always, I was talking to one brother yesterday, man, this cat, you know, I don't know who he was. Somebody's uncle or something, but had like the white suit. <laughs> the, you know, big guy had the white suit. Uh, uncle something, yeah. I, 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 could, I could envision it, right? I'm not exactly what you're saying. You know, the whole thing, yeah. you know, like no question. everything but the cane and the, and the diamond pinky run, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, and then some cat pulled up in the Rolls Royce and, Uh-oh. you know, convertible Rolls Royce and this stuff. I'm like, have any of these guys been to Jerry Jones' house? You know. <laughs> I mean, not only does Jerry Jones have this stadium, but he's got another facility. It's a, it's like their practice compound that's almost as big as a stadium. Jesus. And it's phenomenal. I mean, it's like she's phenomenal. Huh. Then, of course, he lives in his crib. It's like phenomenal. Right. And I'm saying, hey, you guys, are, you're riding around your little van with walls. Well, I mean, really? Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, – I think this all crystallizes. I mean, you know, these kids are nineteen, twenty, and I guess for a lot of them, a lot of us, you know, I guess they're going to be making some money. But right. you no. know, they, they, I mean, they they are so unplugged to power, right? That is unbelievable. I mean, they have like no power. And if you notice, I don't know if you guys have been watching the draft. If you watch the draft on TV and after a selection, they'll show the war, the war room. Right. And notice the war room. There's all these white guys in there. <laughs> you may see a brother here, a brother there, but you got all these white guys in the war room. And in a draft day, like most of these guys, like brothers being drafted, it, it, I'm sure it's just like the slave auction, mm. right? Mm. Where you had the people being auctioned off, but the people who were doing all the wheeling and dealing were white guys with a couple probably Africans who were the ones who, I guess, you know, sold them out. Or, <laughs> you know, well, you know, no, you know, I'm like, no, que- no question. We got, we'll, we'll definitely bounce back on that on that subject for sure. Uh, but we got a couple people <laughs> in the studio. Um, oh, sorry about that guy. No problem. We got a couple people in the studio. Uh, a couple of guests, special guests, of course. Um, one of them, Otis Harper. You've heard him before on the show. Otis. Uh, How are you, Bill? Host of In the Good. Game w- on WBKS1.com, and you can listen to that Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Definitely check that out. I've been on a couple times. It's yes. a lot of fun. Always a pleasure to no have No question. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And we got Darrell Jazz Johnson up in the house, uh, writer for the Thanks New York well. Beacon, uh, rolling out in the Harlem Times. What's up, man? How you doing? Thanks, right. Bill. Thanks, uh, Jamal, for having me. What up, Otis? What's up, Darrell? It's a pleasure to be here. So yeah, back back yeah. to that back to the slave. Order. You know, it's funny because there's a interesting. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a very. Um, I don't know if you know the comedians Key and Peele. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah they they do yeah. a a sketch called Auction Block, and it is one of the mm. most. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen as it relates to slavery. They deal with it in a very humorous way, but I would encourage people to check that out. I don't mean to give them a free plug, but it's a funny mm-hmm. sort of view. And to Bill's point, you know, I've always felt like the combine is very much like that auction, slave auction type of thing. They're measuring guys' hands, their height, their weight, how fast they can move, how high they can jump, how far they can jump. And I, and I really have always had a problem with the combine. And to Bill's point, this is, you know, it's the same thing. It's just an extension of that. It used to be worse. They used to bring them on a stage, like, stripped down <laughs> Jesus in his Christ. auditorium. And Troy Vincent, who is now the senior um, vice president of football operations, stopped it. He sat in one and saw it. And he told the commissioner, said, you, you, you got to stop this, man. This is 
you know, and they, you know, and, you know, it's funny, you're in these rooms and, you know, these people who never, I guess it never even dawned on them. Right. That this was inappropriate. Right. And, um, and doesn't that speak to a mentality? So, of course. I mean, it's how they do business. Yeah, it, it's a thought process like where that's normal for them to stand there. Like you said, the men who are the owners, the decision makers. And, and, and you know, even in Cleveland where the head coach, Hugh Jackson, didn't even know who was who the Browns were going to pick. Right. With well, the number one pick. In that case, we talk, you know, I guess the owner may say, listen, man, we, you were involved in all the number one picks the last four years, and look where we are. So let's, let's, keep this, let's keep this as a prize. Let's keep you in the dark. You say we don't need that input. <laughs> let's, ch- let's change things up a little bit. Let's try something different. But see, my thing is, if you're going to do that to the man, why not yeah. just fire him? Let him go, you know? Well, they, no, that's, that's coming, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> the writing's on the wall. No yeah, question. I mean, but you don't never know. They got this guy. What would you guys think of, uh, of um, you know, Baker Mayfield? Um, mm-hmm. Who was it? Baker Mayfield won. Yep. Uh, it's interesting. The uh, the defensive back, right, from uh, Ohio State, was he two? He was four. Denzel no, no, Ward. No, no, no. Bar- yeah, Bar- Saquon. Saquon Barkley. Barkley went two. Sam Darnold yeah, three Saquon. to the Jets, and Denzel Ward yeah. four. Mm-hmm. So you guys are in New York. What do you think? Are you guys? You know, you're going to be spending a lot of time. Excuse me, a lot of time between Jets and Giants. How did you guys feel uh, um, about about those those picks, the Jets and Giants picks? I I think, you know, the Giants have have set themselves up for you know having a lot of egg on their face if the Jets pick turns out to be really good. Now, you know, it is the Jets, so that's reason uh-huh. to be. A little Suspect. nervous, yes. Uh, I take offense to that. <laughs> I, I grew up a Jets fan, so, you know, I, I'm just realistic, um, you know. <laughs> see, but you transition, see, you transition into being a journalist, and I'm trying to pull pull Jamal. I said, Jamal, come on, man, you're a journalist. Now. Right, you gotta, right. You got to let that stuff go, man. Right, right. No, I, have... I mean, I can see if you were, like, a Patriots fan. <laughs> At least you had, yeah, you have some range. No, you're right. I, I have no reason to still be a Jets fan. That's true. That is true. But, I thought uh, that I thought the Jets. I mean, I'm sorry. The Browns screwed it up. I think they screwed everybody up. I thought that the Browns should have taken Saquon Barkley first and then taken one of the other quarterbacks at the four spot. Uh, but the way it shook out, I think it worked out well for the Giants with Saquon Barkley. They have a signature or a cornerstone running back, if you will, as Eli comes toward the end of his career that they can build around with Odell. You know, Des Bryant's still a free agent. If they pick him up, they have a team that can possibly make a deep run in the playoffs and really change, you know, change the fortune of that organization. As it relates to the Jets, Sam Donald is a USC quarterback. The, if you can name a big-time franchise USC quarterback to come into the NFL, I challenge you to do that. Palmer. That, that's a franchise quarterback? He was, he was. Carson Palmer was the best, I agree. But ha- did he win a Super Bowl? I mean, you know, a lot well, goes into I that. Well, I mean, though. okay, basically, how many guys have won Super Bowl? I, I, mean, I mean, how many people have won Super Bowl? I agree with that, and I understand that. But I'm going to say my position Sounds is like that. Jets hater. No, know. no, no. It's more of a USC hate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> than it is a Jets hate. I don't think – Sam Darnold also was with what are the um, – Leaders in turnovers of that group of quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, true, true. you know, Josh Allen, Josh, um, what was the other, Josh Rosen. Mm-hmm. So he was the guy that threw the most turnovers, uh, most interceptions. So, and, and of course, the Jets pick them. So they're going to continue their rich <laughs> tradition of turning the ball over. Right. I, I mean, I and like. another turnover. Yeah. I, I, like, so I like Saquon, uh, Saqu- uh, Saquon Barkley pick for the Giants. Um, it does mean it does show that they're trying to win now because as Ezekiel Elliott showed and other and other running back, what's the guy from LSU? Um, Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette. You know, nowadays these guys can come right in and run in the running back position more so than anywhere else. It seems like these guys can come right in, continue what they were doing in college. You know, exhibit those same skills in the pros, and it's a huge uh, deal for the team that gets them. So I, but uh, you know, a friend of mine, uh, I think he's somewhere on social media said, you know, that's great. The Giants got someone. That'll help them for two years until he blows his knee out, and Ooh. that, which is true. But they'll probably get two very good years of him. You know, while he's uh-huh. young, you use these running backs up while they're young. So I think that, well, that's why that's you know, probably the most least valued position. Right. Um, you know, Barkley's very impressive. Of course, all these guys are impressive, right? When you hear them uh, afterwards, you know, everybody's impressive on on April, you know, twenty sixth. True. Um, and, and, you know, and the thing that um, you just don't know, you just. 
if we if we think of last year's draft, who was the first, second, third of last year's draft? You guys remember? I only. I actually do remember, but only because I had this conversation with a couple of friends of mine yesterday. But prior to that, I had not remembered. Um, his name's Miles Garrett, defensive end for the Browns. Was one, yeah, and he missed the okay. first few games. He missed a lot of games. He was injured. Yeah, yeah he was injured. Who are the, who yeah. are the top guys? Oh. Who's the, who's the number one overall last year? Miles Garrett, out of uh, Texas A and M. No, that's a, that's that's a good point because we don't even remember the top five guys uh, from the draft last year. But you know, the draft's about hope for teams. You know, I had a Giant fan text me say, "The Giants are going to run it all over the Cowboys now." <laughs> Saquon for president, and he's all excited. I said, "Listen, not for nothing, but when you take your blue shaded glasses off and you put your pom poms down and you want to real really do some an, an analysis." We don't know what this guy's going to be. He's right. trending toward being a good NFL player based on his college career, but we just don't know. Why don't you let him play a game in the NFL before you start sending him to the Hall of Fame? That's but that's what, is, right. that's what fans want. They want to have that hope. Baker Mayfield is the new savior of the Cleveland Browns, the next new savior after Johnny Manziel. Now, for me, Baker Mayfield is a slightly taller Johnny Manziel. I don't know if he's going to do well there, but it remains to be seen. And, and in last year's, in last year's draft, you had uh, Miles Garrett number two, number one to the Browns, Mitchell Trubisky, uh, number two to the Bears. To, oh, to yeah. the Bears. We still don't know about him. Solomon uh, Thomas three to Who? San Francisco. Yeah, uh, Fournette was four to okay, the Jaguars, and and Corey Davis five to the Titans. He did nothing. So yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a crapshoot. Crapshoot. And it seems like I mean, if, if you looked at um, whoever. Whoever the Patriots got, now whoever the Patriots got, I'd be interested to find out if he made the roster. But but they they went to the Super Bowl, and right. I bet you the guy produced. He, he has some type of um, production. I mean, you know, you look at these drafts, and it seems like the guys who are in the best position it could be a guy like Donald uh, uh, Denard. I mean, the kid, the Jets guy, Donald, because um, uh, the starter, the Jets starter. McCown, Josh McCown, yeah. you know, he's a solid person. Right. And so, you know, he he might give uh, Darnold maybe maybe a season. Right. Maybe to the end of the season just to get his bearings. Um, so that's, you know, so it's you, – you, but you're absolutely right. This is all about potential. Though the point is now, you know, you're on – you know, this is, a, this is like – I think, you know, we should look at this is their first job, like a – Thousands and thousands of college graduates are going to be doing exactly what these guys are doing, you know, getting their first major jobs out of college. Right. And now, you know, you're on the clock. It's, it's not about potential anymore. It's like, hey, every day <laughs> you're being measured for your production. And if you don't produce, you know, uh, Troy Vince was saying that you'll be up, you'll be in practice, and we bring some other cats in in your position, working them out at practice. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, if you need any sobering reminder how tenuous this stuff is, you know. So to enjoy today, enjoy yesterday, today, enjoy this weekend, you know, where you walk across the stage and everything's nice. But after this, man, you're on the clock. Right, especially especially in the NFL where there's no guaranteed contracts. I mean, you got you fighting right away for any, yep. you know, for any kind of stability. And uh, definitely don't, you know, don't try to, you know, kneel or, you know, speak up for black people because then you, you'll be out the league also. Oh, oh, forget that. I mean, that's, you know, uh, <laughs> that we talked about that. What, you know, um, I, I, I forget, you said what they learn, you know, what does this new group of kids learn? Right. And they learn that you better stay on your feet and stand at attention. Right. Because because you will be dealt with. What year did uh, Eric Reed come out? I know we have to check our Googles. Um, but... You know, you look at Eric Reed. I think he he comes from uh, from USC, right? Um, Eric Reed. Where go to school? Yeah, Eric Reed. You know, from LSU, rather. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Comes out of LSU, and um, uh, you know, I'm sure that when he was here in his draft year, and I think he was, I, I think he was a fairly high draft pick. I don't know. He may have even been a first a first day draft pick. Um, I'm sure Eric Reed, you know, yeah, he was here. He, he was the 18th pick overall in 2013. Yeah, so you know, here's Eric Reed, 2013, the 18th pick overall. You know, it's a pretty high pick, and I'm sure he was here just like everybody, happy and 
had his suit on and right. the whole thing. And shucks, man, now he's looking for a job. It's not because he can't play. Right. Right. And, and what, what's that? Four, he he's a four-year four year vet? He's five years in. He's 6'1", 213, 26 years old by all rights. 26. He's in his sixth season. You would think he would be able to find a job. He's got two interceptions, 67 tackles, coming off a, a reasonably good year. Um, and there obviously are other forces and other reasons why he's not employed, not the least of which is, you know, what he said in the, the secret owner-player meeting that took place that the New York Times uh, came across the tapes where he stood up for Colin Kaepernick in that meeting uh, with the owners, where the owners were more concerned about the PR hit and the image that the league was taking instead of the actual issues. And that's what Mr. Reed said. He said, look, we, you guys have let Colin Kaepernick become public enemy number one and you left him hung him out to dry and nobody's focused on that. And and, And the article said a hush came across the room when he said that. Yeah. Uh, including, including from Demora Smith, mm. who was a players uh, executive director of the Players Association, who also hung him out to dry. Right. You know, and and if you notice, what happened is that gradually Eric Reed was pushed out of that inner circle of players. You know, the uh, the players who formed that group. The player, the players' uh, commission, I think. The, the, the players with Chris Long well, and. The other Philadelphia player, I can't think of his name. Yes. The, yeah, the uh, safety uh, right. for Philadelphia, Malcolm Malcolm Jenkins. Right. Yes, Malcolm Jenkins. And, and he was, and, and uh, Eric Reed was gradually pushed out of that group. Now, depending on who you talk to, they'll say they didn't get pushed out; they left. You know, they said, "Oh, Kaepernick wanted to be the face of the movement." You know that he started. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right, um, right. silly him. And, <laughs> Yeah, silly him. How dare you want to be the face? Let us be the face so we can negotiate with the owners so we can take the money and stop protesting. And we talked about that, Bill, on the last one when, when they took that $100 million that you said that the owners will get back in the next collective bargaining negotiations because they wrote that big check and they're going to want something for it. And I yeah, think, and it wasn't even a big check. But yeah, you're right. They're, right. they're going to get it back. And I think it's clear the NFL uh, has sent a very clear message over the past couple of years. Domestic violence, if you can play football, we'll find a place for you. You know, doesn't matter if you're beating kids like, like Peterson, right. beating your girlfriend or your wife. Right. If you can still play, there's a place for you in the NFL. But you protest mm-hmm. uh, the killing of, of black and brown faces by law enforcement. No. There's no place for you in the NFL. And even if you go back as far as Riley Cooper from the Eagles, the NFL has sent another clear message saying you can use the N-word. It doesn't matter. Riley Cooper was welcomed back to the Eagles and played. Uh, Josh Allen, now granted, you know, in full disclosure, it was he was much younger. And, you know, we've read the tweets, Jamal and I. He didn't use it necessarily as a, you know, in an aggressive way, but he still used it. Mm-hmm. And he's still responsible for that. But they say, hey, look, if that's okay. We'll still draft you. Come on in. But you stand up for the rights of black and brown people. Whoa, 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 whoa. We can't have that in this league. It's well, unacceptable. Make of, yeah, what do you guys make of uh, who's the kid who just got out of prison? Um, and they've been flying them all around. Oh, Meek Mill. Meek Mill. Meek Mill. I mean, and even Robert Kraft, I mean, I don't get this. You know, now, you're, not, you're not alone. This guy, they're embracing this guy, Robert Kraft. I mean, same guys boycotting, you know, a black ball and Colin Kaepernick. These guys are like, you know, covering up to, I, I, you know. I think it's I think it's Kaepernick guilt, especially from from Kraft. I mean, you you're dealing with, you know, you're you're one of the guys that will refuses to sign Kaepernick. When people mention his name in these meetings, as we saw, you you just go silent. You act like you didn't hear. Uh, what Eric Reed had to say. Eric Reed went in there, by the way, wearing a Kaepernick T-shirt over his shirt and tie. Okay, so he wasn't pl- <laughs> he wasn't playing, right? Right. So, but right. You know, obviously they were, you know. So there's you can, as Otis said earlier, that that's probably you know why he's not playing. Well, yeah, why they're not signing him. Right. They saw that T-shirt. They were like, oh hell. Yeah, they're looking at each other like wink, <laughs> wink, nudge, nudge. Okay, we know it's. Right. Bob Kraft actually went to visit Meek, Meek Mill, Mill in yeah. prison and said, and I quote, "Amazing young man." I know how I'd feel if I was in the situation he's in, he is. And then he said, every time, quote, every time I see him, I just come away more impressed. He's very intelligent. That makes it clear to me that we have to do something with criminal justice reform, end quote. That's Bob Kraft's statement. However, 
Signing Colin Kaepernick, nothing was said in that room with players and owners. And don't get me wrong, Meek Mill, I'm glad he's out. Right. No question about it. He, you know, the system. It was he was one of those guys who was done wrong by the system. Uh, he was he he had an he, he had a gun charge when he was 19. Mm-hmm. Got probation for 10 years, so they keep you in the system. He's now 30, and now he's you know he he, he commits a small crime, and they and they try to put him back in there for a number of years. Right. But there's you know but uh, but there's a hashtag out. The, the hashtag used to be free meek, and now there's a hashtag free them all. So I'm you know free them all. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like it's not just about meek mill. There's so many more guys yeah. that go through stuff like this, and like you said, it's just funny to see these these rich white owners, you know, you know, gather, you know, crowd around Meek Mill and act like you know they're, they're trying to help somebody out. Um, when flying them to all the games, right? You know, flying, pick him up. It was like a movie. It was like you know, flying like to a, the it was like Sixers a mob, game it was like or a something. Mob movie or something. Yeah. Like they pick him up from jail and fly him <laughs> to the game. You sit, you sit in front row. Yeah, like you know, are you serious? Meek Mill has and meanwhile, and meanwhile, Kaepernick can't get a can't get a tryout. Come on, I know. I mean, a tryout. Whenever I would give him a job, you know, I, I'm so happy that Ozzy Newsom, in his last role as uh, Ravens GM, decided to draft it. Uh, draft. Uh, um, Lamar Jackson, the kid out of yeah, that was Lamar great. Jackson, because you know they're about to ignore him too. Right. So I was like thinking, good for Ozzy that uh, they drafted him, and he's in another really good situation. Yeah, so should no be. No matter what what kind of problems you got for Flacco, he's really got a couple of years. Right, and he and, and the way right and the way Flacco's been playing, you know, you you wouldn't be surprised if he gets a shot. You know, this coming year, you right. never know. I mean, right. Flacco's been pretty. Terrible. Last and the time. crazy thing is, the interesting thing about that is that they also signed Robert Griffin to a one-year, one million dollar contract. So they take right. a guy. They say, you know, Flacco is known as a stand-in-the-pocket type of guy. But then they they sign uh, Robert Griffin the third, who's not known as a stand-in-the-pocket guy. They draft. Well, he will be now. <laughs> <laughs> Baltimore signed him. Yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah. That. yeah. If you talk about a, a brother who's learned his lesson. Well, hopefully, yeah. you know. Well. <laughs> uh, what did Tyrod Taylor? He is where is he? he was at Buffalo. They traded him. I think it was a, he's in. I Cleveland. think he's Cleveland. He's yeah, in Cleveland. he's in Cleveland. So he'll be uh, Baker Mayfield's uh, mentor. But see, to go back to what what Bill was talking about with um, with McNown. What is it, Josh McNown? McCown. 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 You you know, Bill. As soon as Jet fans, if Josh McCown goes out there and throws two interceptions, it's going to be we want Donna, we want Donna with Jet fans, right. and it's going to be the same right. thing in, in Cleveland. If if Tyrod Taylor goes out there, fumbles once, throws an interception, oh, we want Baker, we want Baker. You know, so it's tough right. for these guys to even it's for them to groom a guy into the starting position because fans are so hungry and desperate, especially in the organizations like Cleveland and the New York Jets, who just want to win and don't want to hear about, well, we're trying to get this guy set up for the future. No, the future's now. It's always a win-now league, as they say in the NFL. Yeah, that's one of the t-shirts that they got here is the future is now. Yeah. You know, uh, I bought one, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone Android Kindle or MP3 player again that's www.audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports check it out yeah so um, what about the uh, NBA man we've got um, I guess by the time people hear this um, there'll be some tears on the court Right. Who do you guys think, by the time we hear people hear this podcast on Saturday, who do you think will be sh- crying tears? What teams do you think, what 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 fan base do you think will be crying tears? The, uh, and, the, and, o- and, the Oklahoma City Thunder fan base will be crying uh, huge tears because uh, they should have lost uh, Game 5. I don't know how Utah choked away that lead, but... Going back to Utah uh, tonight for game six, Utah led by a rookie, uh, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell, who who I think should be rookie of the year. Um, I think he will lead them to victory tonight, and it will be seen as a disaster uh, for the Thunder to have brought uh, Paul George, who's a free agent at the end of this year, and is probably gone, especially if they lose 
in the first round to Utah. And Carmelo Anthony uh, to that team. That was their, quote, big three. Uh, they didn't play well uh, all season. Didn't mesh as well as people thought they would. Uh, although they did have stretches where they did play well. Beat, beat Golden State uh, a couple of times. It's going to be a disaster um, if they lose this game. And I do expect them to lose tonight. So, uh, yes, the Thunder fans will have tears. Well, the difference, in, and you, you you asked the question, how they choked away that game. Rudy Gobert got in foul trouble, and the Thunder are shooting like something in the neighborhood of 37% with him on the floor, but they're shooting like 56% with him off the floor. He, he got uh, into some foul trouble, and that allowed Russell Westbrook to go on one of the greatest comebacks. I'm sorry, scoring, uh, he scored 20 in the third, winded up with like 45 points, 15 rebounds, only, you know, joining a, a select group of only, LeBron James and Wilt Chamberlain to score 45-15 and I think it was five assists in a playoff game so that's how they managed to do that but I think the other team that will be shedding some tears I think it's going to be the Milwaukee Bucks the Milwaukee Bucks had a great great game last night um, Giannis Antetokounmpo put that team on his back scored 31 points um, got them to even up the series. But I think going back into Boston, the Boston fans are going to put a lot of energy. They, the Celtics play well at home. They're a well-coached team by Brad Stevens. So I think the Bucks are going to be another team that whose fan base is going to be uh, shedding some tears t- tomorrow night. I, I agree with uh, one of you guys. I agree with you. I think, okay, I, I think OKC is going to be crying tonight. Uh, Mellow fans across the country are going to be crying. Um, it just didn't work out. And Utah is better than people uh, give credit. You know, you know they don't. One, they're on the West Coast. Two, it's Utah. So most people, <laughs> you know, not used to watching that team. You know, so it's kind of a surprise to a lot of people, uh, a lot of basketball fans that that they're this good. But they're well coached. Um, you know, they play great defense. They play great offensive system. Quinn Snyder is the coach there. That and and they're all always a tough place to play in Utah. So I, I give OKC very little shot. Uh, as far as Milwaukee, I kind of like Milwaukee on the road here. Um, I mm. like I like Antetokounmpo. He's you know he's shown when he wa- when he you know he, when he wants to he can put a team on his back. Remember he's a, he's about twenty one years old. I think he's only been playing for six years. So the stuff well, he's doing is, that is a, yeah, that's it's unbelievable. It's when he's un- like that. unbelievable what he's you know how mm. good he is in such a short he's not time. Even, he's not even he's not even tapped right now. It's almost like he's just playing on. Just, you know, I, I wouldn't say his raw ability, but talent. But he, you know, we don't know how much he's going to add to his game. I yeah, mean, there's right. so much more he can do. And he's the type, and he's already the, putting up like 30 points, eight, re, you know, 12 rebounds, eight assists. I mean, like you said, most of these guys, we're talking about AAU and stuff, they've been playing AAU since at least 10, you know. He just started playing at 16. Don't get me wrong. I, I love Giannis. He's my new favorite player. Uh, I saw the piece on 60 Minutes, and, and it really made me like him even more. He's got a great personality, a very humble player. He wants to get better. And like you said, the, he's just scratching the surface. He's been only been in the pros for four years, and he's playing off of that raw natural ability, being coached up. But like you said, Bill, we don't know what else he's going to add to his game. Yeah. You, you and I talked about it off air. Last night he took a, a, a Euro step, and it was like somewhere in the middle From of the half pa- court. Yeah, it was basically <laughs> half court. And he's at the hoop laying it up, doing a finger roll. I said, this is unbelievable for a guy who's only been in the pros four years and only played since he was 16. Yeah, that's crazy. So, yeah. Why is there such a dramatic difference? I mean, this gets into the home court question. Why is there such a dramatic difference between what happens in Boston or at home and what happens on the road? Is it simply just because of the energy? I think Jamal, you mentioned, is that, that's it? I mean, you can't beat them in Boston, but in Milwaukee, you're world beaters. I mean, why is a home court such a big deal? And, and, and do you think in basketball is more pronounced than any other sports? I, Maybe I, except for hockey. I think it is in basketball. And I think, uh, you know, star players for the most part are going to play great at home or on the road and if and if the greek freak you know realizes you know what i'm the best guy on the court there's nobody on that boston team that can stop me then he he might be able to lead them to a road victory uh but i think your second third fourth your bench players uh play better at home um in game three in game three Matthew Della Vadova 
made it. We haven't heard his name since the 2015 finals. But he made an impact in that game with some hustle plays. Um, That gets the building going. That gets his teammates going when you when you see that guy diving on on the floor for for loose balls. Um, so I think, you know, those guys are the ones that play better at home and perform poorly, unfortunately, on the road. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, and, and speaking to that, why I think they I like them actually in Game Seven. You know, I was watching Game Five in Boston, and Milwaukee was right there, and they didn't they didn't play well at all. You know, at, at Boston Garden. They, they had all these ch- chances uh, to, you know, to come up with big plays. Even even Antetokounmpo had chances, you know, wasn't wasn't connecting. And but they were, you know, they only lost that game by like about three to five points. And I'm like, you know what? They're gonna go. They're gonna go win Game Six. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. I just I just knew that. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like Game Seven, they're gonna go into Game Seven knowing that they didn't even play well in Game Five. And they were right there. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, and and Greek Freak, you know, I think he'll even step it up another level. And and Middleton's been good. Uh, Jabari Parker's had a good second half mm-hmm. of the series. Um, so I, you know, I really, I really kind of like Milwaukee to pull this out. Like they have the best, they have the best player on mm-hmm. the court. No question. Mm-hmm. And they may have the second best player because mm-hmm. Middleton is a guy nobody. Oh, he knows plays well. He talks about. But you know, Boston has you know they injury riddled. Uh, you got to give credit to Brad Stevens, the job he's done. Uh, you know, you know, great coach, but he, you know, he's kind of patching stuff together with young players, rookies, uh, you know, role players. But Milwaukee, they have the they have more talent, so I think they pull right. it together. But I think there's something to that. That energy drives. You know, I was fortunate enough to recently go to see the Warriors play, and. The energy in the building was just palpable. Right. When you walked in the building, everybody's upbeat. And I think that matters when you're on the road or, or when you're home. You know, you feel that passion of the fans and you go out there. And I know you say, you know, it's easy for guys to say, well, you're getting paid. You shouldn't have to try harder. But I think when you're in front of that home crowd, you do put in a little, bo- a little bit more effort. You might dive for a loose ball that you may not dive for when you're you're out there because that crowd reaffirms your effort. It, 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 it's a mental sort of psychological advantage. They're reaffirming that, hey, look, we appreciate your effort. We want you to work hard, and we're here to support that. And I think that matters, and I think that's why the home team has won each game. Now, don't get me wrong. I want the Bucks to win because I, I am a Laker fan, so I, I don't want the Celtics <laughs> to advance. Um, and I like Giannis. Dallas. Lakers and Lakers. the Yankees. Oh my god! Yep, yep. I was seven when I made those decisions. Oh you cannot hold that against oh me. <laughs> I've held strong anyway, to those decisions. The Dallas, you know, here is so funny. Uh, when they they booed Roger Goodell. <laughs> I saw that. Oh, I loved it. I mean, without mercy. <laughs> you know, I mean, like every time. I mean, the first time he came out, they were like, "Oh, I think he just brought out his check and said, hey, Look at this, my pay stub. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know I'm getting money, as much money as Jerry Jones. Seriously. Yeah. I think uh, he thought. Yeah, but you know. I think he thought that by bringing out Roger Staubach, Troy Aikman, and Jason <laughs> Witten, that that was going to, you know, take away some of those boos. And I'm happy that the the fans there, all the fans, including my fellow Dallas Cowboys nation and fans, saw right through that ruse and continued to boo him because I am no Wait, fan man. of Roger Goodell. So you're a fan of Ezekiel Elliott? I am not a fan. No, no, I'm not. I mean, so, I'm not a fan of Ezekiel Elliott or his actions. He just happens to play for the team. He just happens to play for the team that I root for. They didn't really ask me who they wanted me, who I wanted oh, to draft, you know. Oh, so what am I supposed to do? I'm stuck why, in this position. Why were they booing the commissioner? Let's 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 trace this back. Why were they booing the commissioner? I think they booed him for a number of reasons. If you recall, a few years back in the uncapped year, when um, Roger, when uh, Jerry Jones signed a couple of players, and he had to pay for that, they pulled a couple of draft picks. That was one reason they were booing him. I boo him because I just don't like Roger Goodell. I don't like the way he treats the players, and I realize that he's nothing more than a shield for the owner. So I've come to a position of even though I don't like so Goodell. He worked, he, he worked Right, that's what I'm saying. And even though I don't like Goodell, it's really, I've had to move that back and say, it's not Goodell that I don't like, it's the owners that I don't like. 
Goodell is just their mouthpiece. He goes out there and he does their bidding. So they're all together in this. They're all part and parcel of the same group. So I don't like any of them. But my question, guys, was <laughs> they don't like they don't like Goodell because he was putting the screws to Ezekiel Elliott. I think that's a huge who, part of it. Right. Who you could argue deserved somebody should have been putting the screws to him. Eight, eight years ago. I agree. And they wouldn't have to put the screws to him now. I agree. And another reason they don't like him, and which I, it doesn't bother me, but another reason they don't like him is what he did to Jerry Jones. Didn't didn't he just sue? Just, just made he, him pay another right, $2 million. Just, but see, for me, that right. doesn't matter because I don't care but what Jerry why, does with his money. That's why they're booing him. I'm not booing him because they made Jerry pay $2 million for that. You know, That's on him. That's between him and his owners. Yeah. I'm not going to care about billionaires fighting over millions, you know. But as it relates to, to Zeke Elliott, I think you're accurate in that. They should not be booing him because of that. Zeke has his own issues that he needs to get resolved as it relates to, to what he did to, to, to that young lady or didn't do. Um, if he's, and I don't have a problem with them suspending him. I hope he gets to move on with his life and it doesn't happen again. But and rem- of cor- Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, uh, Jamal. I mean, and remember, this is commissioner. Commissioners get booed. Like that's that's what happens. Anyway, yeah, he was, just, he was getting booed in New York. Adam Silver doesn't get booed. I, I, you sure? Nah, not as much as not as much as Goodell. Not as much, but I think they boo him too. Well, Do they? Well, that's, that's they, used to boo, they used to boo Stern. Well, Stern. I mean, you you don't understand why you boo Stern. <laughs> well, Adam, 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 Adam has only been. A, he's still got a honeymoon. True. <laughs> a honeymoon true. period. That's true. Uh, hey, two two questions I want to get into before we end. I want to talk about Condoleezza Wright and the commission on <laughs> trying to put the genie back in the bottle. Um, you know, we were talking about, uh, I think you were talking about uh, home court advantage, but then I was thinking, well, you know, look, look at LeBron James. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? I think, I think some players get energized by going into hostile territory. I mean, I think the greatest. like Jordan. Right. I mean, I think they, they love, <laughs> they love going into a hostile territory. They love, you know, they almost like feed on that negative energy, right? And and then just reveling and shutting people up. I mean, George used to come to the garden, and and I think Reggie Miller was like that too, just to used to completely break everybody's heart. Yeah, don't remind and me. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. So I, I mean, yeah. So it, it just fascinates me about the magic that occurs, and maybe it's just the youth of a team. I mean, I think if you have a great team, they're going to win anywhere. Right. You know, and I think your your point is right uh, about you're right having those third and fourth guys a little more fragile and needing that reinforcement. And and while we're while we're talking about LeBron, you know, uh, year fifteen, right? One of the greatest top ten, definitely, probably top five of all time. In year fifteen, yeah. he's still adding to that career highlight reel. Uh, yeah. the block on Victor Oladipo in 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 game five that was probably goaltending right um, to keep the game tied and then the catch and shoot three right amazing um, buzzer beater the guy's phenomenal um, and would, would would that be called see here's the problem I got with the NBA the NBA to me excuse me. Um, I, I, I didn't get out of the stadium until 4 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still kind of, y'all got to forget, I'm still eating breakfast. <laughs> but, uh, but what has always bothered me about the NBA, you know, the referees share the same building with the NBA. They're, they're in the same building. And to me, it's almost like, you know, how the Globe Crowds will bring the Washington Nationals with them all the time. <laughs> and there's a little bit of the WWE in the NBA. You know, they used to have the makeup calls. And I think it's very star-driven. And, and I think, you know, this whole idea of keeping the series close. And, you know, and then, you know, LeBron lays down one game, and then next time he comes in like, you know, like Wakanda, you know. <laughs> you know, so, you know. I hear you. Um, would, would somebody else be called for goaltending? In other words, that was somebody else. It was a bang-bang play, though. Like, even, even after the fact, like they, I know that they the, the league looked at it, and now also the league's trying to be uh, you know tra- transparent, quote unquote, transparent. Quote unquote <laughs> transparent, and and they've come out and said that should have been a goal ten, but what's done is done, obviously. But even not, even knowing that, I'm watching the replay. I can't I can't really see, you know did what they, did happened. Did they go to the replay afterwards? No, no they, 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 they weren't could. allowed. Yeah, and and I thought it was 
phenomenal play. I didn't even thank goaltending when it happened. No. I was I was surprised that he got the block. Yeah, I give I, yeah, I would give LeBron that, and that's the thing too. Like we remember we had we had uh, Zach Zarba on the podcast. Right. Remember, they're one of the best refs in the game. Um, and one of the things we we brought this question up with him, and he said, "Well, you know." Uh, the star player ha- ha- also has the ball like eighty percent of the time, so mm. so any kind of call we make is going to be it's highlighted. Yeah, right, right, right. in terms right. of what we make against him. But you know this is that. But I th- I think it's like just just human nature. Like you know you, you know you're a ref, you're a human being. You know LeBron is great. You know LeBron is LeBron. Right. You're gonna you are gonna give him more calls. Period. Right. Well, somebody else may say, no, he couldn't do that. Right, right, right. That's what I was going to say about Michael Jordan. I said, well, he missed that shot. Well, something went wrong. He must have got fouled. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right, exactly. Right, Right. yeah. So, by the way, that that was a great um, interview, uh, 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 Jamal. So, we got to get Zach Zarba back on. Yeah, we got to get him back uh, after the playoffs. Or or at least we should rerun that. We, re, we should rerun that um, interview. Right. Because it was a very insightful interview, which would be very appropriate during the uh, NBA playoffs. Hey, listen, guys, um, uh, you've kept me for too I mean, I've kept you for too long. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> but um, what about what about Condoleezza Wright? Um, Wednesday, she had, you know, they've been pondering the evils of college basketball for seven months, and they had the big press conference. Do you guys think that they're – that that number one, I'm not sure if I accept the premise. I mean, you know, I was at the Final Four. It seems like the machine is working pretty well to me. Right. You know, if, if I'm looking at March Madness, it seems like everybody's pretty happy to me. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the cash, the, the registers are flowing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's having a great time. The ratings are off the off the chart. You know, uh, they say it's, it's ill. I don't know. I mean, seems like you know, money, the triumph of money. Is is you know undefeated. So I don't know what you guys think. You think that there's some ill about this? I don't. Th- you know, I'm with you. I mean, in terms of the product, the product. You know, when it comes to March Madness, it's still one of the one of the most impressive events there are. Most popular events. I think it's it's only it's barely second to the Super Bowl in terms of betting in Vegas. You know, so um, it's definitely popular. I th- obviously it goes back to the whole uh, FBI probe. Um, you know, all that kind of negative publicity that they got this year, so they want to address uh, what's going on there. And while I, I agree with a couple of the small things that she said uh, to to, prob- to try to improve that, uh, one, of, one of the things was that I liked was that, that players who don't get drafted uh, can come back to, to school. I love that. Um, right. And, you know, a couple other little things that I agreed with. Um, she, you know, she said get rid of the one and done. I, I guess I agree with that. But you know she didn't she didn't discuss anything about one paying the players, which I'm not sure of anyway. But she didn't address it, right. and also you know getting players being able to benefit from their own likeness. Remember, remember we talked to uh, Charles, uh, we talked to Ed O'Bannon, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Who, who, who had the big lawsuit, and I still don't understand why that's not pushed harder in terms of uh, kids being allowed to benefit off their own likeness like anybody else can do. Make money off of that. Sell it to local call dealerships or whatever. But my question is, why Condoleezza Rice? That's my first question. What what makes her qualified? Because she sat on the NCAA College Football uh, Committee. I mean, I, I'm not qu- saying that she's not qualified. I'm just curious as to why she was the initial choice. But as it relates to what you say, you know, did she talk about reduced practice time? Did she talk about right, um, making right, these right. players more of students than they are athletes? Because, you know, we can talk about the money and, you know, we talk about that, but what about them getting an education? You know, right. it's fine to have a scholarship, but are you getting educated while you're there? Because we know only a small amount of those players are going to go on to professional athletics. Most of them are going to go on to regular lives. Are they being prepared for life after the NCAA of course, basketball? Of course not. Uh, to her credit, she did mention that. I mean, to her credit. Okay. Um, she did say that, um, you know, that you, you can't give – uh, people who participate in this high-profile basketball football universe, a cut-rate education, which is happening. Uh, and, and you mentioned precisely because the demands are too much. The time demands are, are so great uh, that you you really don't have time to really be a student in terms of enjoying all the fruits of campus life. Right. You know, um, you know so 
but I, I do agree with you about other things that were not addressed. The thing to me, and, and I, I guess it's because I was here and I was, I've been talking to high school coaches a lot, uh, that this whole commercialism uh, in which the sport finds itself in its trap has really pushed high school coaches to the margins. You know, we talked about AAU, how now AAU has become the center, and now the the uh, the apparel company representative. You know, the coaches sort of played a marginal role, but you talk to these players, for example, down here, you know, they, they were all talking about the pivotal role their high school coaches played, not just in their career, but in their lives. You know, remember, you're like 15, 16, right. you know, 17 years old, and to have an adult kind of put their foot up your butt. You know, when you're still developing, I think is really crucial. And there has to be a way to really reinsert the coach, the high school coach's authority. I mean, and, and Connelly's right, you know, there's her father. Her father was a, a, was a big-time football coach uh, in Alabama, mm-hmm. a, a big-time high school football coach in Alabama. Mm-hmm. In fact, she said uh, her dream was she wanted to be his All-American linebacker, <laughs> you know. And so well. she knows she knows the value and the importance mm-hmm. of that high school figure, that high school coach. So, um, again, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, that to me is one thing. You have to find a way how to reinvigorate the high school coach. Now, you know, if you went to the college football championship or the Final Four, I mean, the cash the cash registers are, are just opening and shut, man. I mean, right. these people are making so much money. So there may not be any, what's wrong? Right. You know, guys, what's wrong? I'm making $8 million. What's wrong with that? You know, where's the problem? Right. And and the flip side of that, too, is that when you take a player, first of all, you got the coaches that are going to want more from the players while they're in college because they want to make their records look better so they can leave their legacy, get paid more. I'm speaking specifically when I'm thinking of this. I'm thinking of Nick Saban. And then when you go on the back end, you know, if you have other interests, even if you have the talent to go into the pros, the NFL wants to say, well, is this guy really committed? Is he really invested in football? So there's this, you know, this play. It's like how much, how much do you do if you take away? Say, well, I want to be more of a student. Oh, he's not really committed. He wanted to really study. They did that with the gentleman out of, um, out of New Jersey, Rosen. Josh Rosen, but mm-hmm. a few years back they did it with the uh, Florida State safety right. who was oh, a Rhodes right, Scholar. Right. You know, and they said, well, he wasn't committed to football. The guy played. He made every practice. Well, he wants to be a doctor, so he's not committed right. to football, but we're not going to draft him. Well, we may. We got some questions about him. So it's like this crazy they, – they play it against it. So, you know, what do you do? What do, If you're an 18-, 19-year-old kid and you have interest, what do you do? You say, well, I, I have to do what the coach says because that's what my scholarship depends on. Did they talk about making scholarships four years instead of year to year? Or or well, life, lifetime be, scholarships. That's really the key. There is going to be, I think, an adjustment. They're going to uh, forget the terminology, but there's no no more of this one one and done for the scholarship. Right. The school makes a commitment, uh, but you're absolutely right. That's as it should be. If the school makes a commitment to you, that commitment should go to your graduate. Now we got to factor in the knucklehead element. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there is right there, there's a knucklehead element. Right. You know, that it doesn't matter what you – there's just certain people who just aren't going to do it. And But but the large part that they shouldn't be at your university in the first place, and the reason you bring them there is because, you know, they can play. Right, right. And you that's know? where the so one – that's where yeah. getting rid of the one and done might help because uh, those kids who don't want to go to school, you know, they don't have to go through this minor this minor league college system. Yeah, but, Jamal, this is going to – the thing is – Let's say you have no one. They're always going to be cheating, right? Because no question. Even if you just have the records, you gotta, you gotta. You still gotta, you gotta get gotta the get, best. You still gotta get the best players you can get, right? And that's division one, two, and three, right? That that it is, and it's just human nature. And Jamal, you've been around coaches, high school coaches. That, that, nah, I'm kind of defeating my own argument. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more, it's more the AU guys than the high school coaches. I mean, I I have friends now who are high school coaches asking me. Um, you know the same thing, like, like, you know, what, like, where, what, what's more important as far as for a kid to be recruited? Is it, for, is it the height? Is it the, how they 
perform in high school or is that how they perform in AAU? And it's no question it's AAU. So the so the coaches are, are being squeezed out. And I and I'm you know, it's no it's also no question where you get more genuine advice. And that comes from the high school coach who's who's employed by the high school, um, is oftentimes a teacher at the same time. You know, the it just you just they're in a better position. They're more likely to be honest and really right. try to help you because they're in, you know, rather than the a- AAU system. And mm. tr- there are some good guys. There are some good coaches at AAU. Mm. But they're also, man, it's infested with just runners and, and you know, guys just trying to make a buck. Yeah, so, so again, I think the corruption, it, it could be coaches. Because remember, before AAU, you had these ambitious coaches. Right. Who are doing this stuff. Of course. And hopefully now, if we come back around, maybe the coaching element uh, will be, or establishment, will be um, a little more um, uh, self-reflective in terms of the responsibility. But I was talking to some of the high school coaches here, and they're, they're scared to death now of this seven-on-seven phenomenon. And it's been around for years but now the apparel companies are getting ready to get into the seven-on-seven competition, uh, which is kind of like their equivalent of AAU, right. where you get it's, it's just simply passing, passing competition with just a secondary, you know, linebackers, wide receivers, quarterbacks, you know, and now they're almost like touring, right? You know, where you get an all-star team seven-on-seven, and we 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 uh, fund the company, like Nike will fund the co- you know fund the, fund the team. Right and find the coach, but a lot of the high school coaches are kind of are kind of po because well, you know I could use that time for them to be with my kids, but now my best wide receiver, my best quarterback is off, you know August making the rounds as part of this kind of AAU seven on seven. So football is a little behind, but it's coming. Right, they were saying that that's going to be our next big thing. So the, and, and you know football. Is a much bigger machine. Right. Absolutely. Once right. they find out how to make money there, man, oh. we, we're probably in for more scandals. Yeah, and once you get the apparel companies involved, it's over. It, so it's it's about it's, it's about to be over, as far as you know, high school football. You know, in, as far as their value compared to uh, the seven on seven, because look what the apparel companies did with AU. I mean, that's that's how AU runs. That's how they're funded is the apparel companies and. Once you get them involved, they they take com- they take complete control. Hey, Bill, uh, I have a quick question for you. Um, you're you're at the NFL draft now, and in, in, in New York, we'll see the NBA draft here. Actually, I, actually, I'm on the sixth floor of the ABC building. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you were at the at the. No, uh, no, 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 no. I was this guy in Dallas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and we'll we'll see the NBA draft here in New York uh, in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Is 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 the NFL is the NBA doing enough uh, to help these young men who mostly come for nothing and and are instantly millionaires and unfortunately we'll see some of them that'll be broken for five years. Are the leagues doing enough to help these men with financial uh, literacy? Yeah, that's a great question. We kind of talked about it the other day, um, and, and you know. The answer is, I think the Players Association is doing some stuff, and there are programs that they've got. But the, the thing that has to happen is that this has to happen at the college level. Because now that you've got so many uh, of these kids who are pro-bound, I think the, the, the universities uh, should have this sort of financial literacy, um, not only maybe just for athletes, but certainly that should be part of the whole athletic curriculum instead of these stupid study halls. Um, I think you should have a course, at, you know, in your freshman year, about financial literacy and um, and different aspects of financial literacy. Uh, if you anticipate a pro career, because heaven knows all these coaches, most of the coaches are millionaires. You know, why not why not introduce them to your financial advisor? So I think that that's a great question. Uh, I, I think that. The, the NCAA, again, and the universities themselves should really see to it that in the, this sort of first year, athletes in particular, but everybody, but there should really be financial literacy 
uh, aimed at, you know, aimed at athletes. And you're right, particularly athletes who may come from, or people who may come from um, backgrounds where money is, you don't understand money, or it's just, you know what I'm saying? And I could have benefited from, from a course like that as, you know, as a freshman. So I, I think the Players Union does things like that, but my contention is that's almost too late. Right. And it's I, almost too late. Yeah, and, I, and also, you know, the powers that be, uh, you know, professions like agents and financial advisors, it's their right. business. That would affect their business negatively. Like, they <laughs> want a financial illiteracy uh, from these right. players, so they so the players have to depend on them, have to pay them to do everything. Um, you know, I was talking to a, a guy I know who, who is a financial planner uh, for athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's on a lower level at his at his agency, but he he straight up told me that his bosses, you know, do not want the, the player to they know don't want that financial how literacy. to do it because that there goes their money. And the other factor is is one one big factor too is, 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 that's tough. And I, I've dealt with this personally is. When you have these guys, you know, these NFL players, and I don't know if you recently heard the um, Deshaun Golston story where he lost, um, I think it's about $16 million um, when he tried to purchase a strip club with, with a, a, a businessman. Now, Good idea. Um, I, yeah, right? <laughs> bad, right, bad idea, right. Bad idea, strip club. Sounds like a winning proposition. But he, he, That's like, like, like Vic. Let's buy more dogs. Right, right, right. <laughs> but the pro- one of the problems that I, I, I confronted in that is I was talking to, to a player who was associated with Goldston, and we advised him not to get involved with this businessman because he was not a businessman. He was a shady person. But these guys are such, they have such bravados and such ego. And we, we went so far as to have the NFL. We proved to the NFL. We got an alert that told the players, don't get involved with this individual. He's suspect. And players still went and get, got involved with him. Um, I don't know whether it's lacking financial literacy. I don't know whether it was just his ego saying, you can't tell me what to do, man. I, I know how to handle my business, you know. And sometimes that gets in the way. Ego gets in the way. And he's got – now, Goldston's lost his basically his all of the earnings that he made in the NFL to a guy that there was a security alert four years before he even got involved with him. Now, for that, mm-hmm. that I guess that's the knucklehead factor, Bill. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what you guys should have done? It just got all the women who were the strippers. And then just give give them those. <laughs> you ain't got to go through all that. <laughs> no question. Anyway, hey hey, listen, man. We we've been uh, doing this for a while, and uh, you know there there's a uh, um, getting ready to leave on the bus to go see the second second and third round, and uh, you know you guys got to get ready to watch uh, uh, Indiana. Washington. Over uh, over Washington. Um, so there's a lot there'll be a lot to talk about. Um, you know, when we when we kinda reconvene. But hey, thank you guys for, for, for coming in and standing in while I'm in uh, in Dallas. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you having me. Safe travels, Bill, and and try to get in a little earlier tonight. Yeah, you can't have two nights in a row I, like I, that, man. No, no, it won't be. In fact, <laughs> I said, man, what the man? You too old for this shit. <laughs> shit, I'm I'm too old. I was for about this to shit. say, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I I just you know, you sometimes you know you know how it is, and, uh, you know you you got to calm the right, and the editors always tell you, man, you know, just give it to me before like two o'clock. And it'll be, it'll, we'll get in first thing in the morning. And, right. you know, editors always lie. You know? <laughs> and so you up there, oh, man, let me, I got to get to this before I leave the stadium, you know, because the editor, you know, editor is there waiting for it, you know, so. Right, you get it, you get it to him, he doesn't post it till 3 p.m. <laughs> right. <laughs> A week later. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, but it was fun, man. Tomorrow, you're the best. <laughs> Thank you, man. Have a safe trip home, and I'll see you back in NYC. Cool. This is another version of Bill Roden on Sports. We will see you next week. Have a great weekend. God bless.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.